0: Welcome to Engineering Stories, a podcast presented and produced by Silver Fox and the Institution of Engineering and Technology. This week's special guest is Sadie Peacock. Sadie is a senior engineer at Renishaw. She discusses her background in physics and how it led to her career in engineering. She also shares her views on women working in engineering and provides some great advice for those looking for a worthwhile and satisfying career. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Engineering Stories. I'm Alex, the head of R&D at Silver Fox. And alongside me today, I have Nicoletta.
1: Hello, my name is Nicoletta. I am a second year student on electrical and electronic engineering at the University of Greenwich.
0: And our special guest today is Sadie Peacock. Sadie, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, uh, yeah, my name is Sadie Peacock. Um, so I work as a senior engineer in manufacturing company Renishaw, Um And I've got a background in physics.
0: Brilliant, thank you. Do you want to tell us a bit more about what Renishaw does?
2: Yeah, so Renishaw is a design and manufacturing company that creates products for the healthcare industry, additive manufacturing or 3D printing and high precision measurement. Um, So I work in the assembly manufacturing side. So we have have part forming manufacture, which involves things like injection moulding and metal cutting. Um, And I work in the subsequent part, um, that comes after that, in the area that assembles these parts, um, alongside bought-in parts, into the final product. Um, and I work specifically on the high-precision measurement products that we make. Um, so these measurement probes would be sold to different industries, such as aerospace and automotive, and it allows those companies to monitor their own manufacturing processes and to ensure all the parts they're making are dimensionally correct. Um, this basically reduces the number of incorrect parts that they produce and helps them to achieve a sustainable manufacturing process
0: brilliant so let's let's take it back right to the beginning how, how did you end up in engineering
2: well um it really really was by accident um it i'd love to say it was sort of a, a plan that i've had since since mm-hmm. i was young but it, it really really wasn't um so sort of back when i was at school it was it was just a case of um, as, I, as I progressed through my, my education, it was just choosing the things that I liked and the things that, that I was good at. Um, so it started um, with A-levels. Um, I had to narrow down there and I sort of chose physics, maths, um, biology. I, it was always the sciences that I was interested in, the sort of data collection. Things having a logical answer has always been really important to me. I, I really like to be able to reason through um, to, to make a decision. So, yeah, that's that's sort of where my initial interest in engineering came from, I guess. Um, but it, it really wasn't until after I'd completed my degree and I was literally looking for a job that I came across engineering adverts. Um, and it was when I was reading those that I I realized that the sort of the mix between the, the theory and the, the technical side of things, the problem solving, the decision making, that and the fact that it. Required a lot of hands-on work as well, um, which is what I'd really enjoyed about my um, physics degree. The sort mm. of we, we had a lab module that we had to do, um, so the sort of data collection and the real-world application is is really important to me. I like I like to be able to like come up with a with a hypothesis, with a theory, um, and then sort of prove it and and then making improvements off off the back of data and stuff like that. I find I find really really satisfying. Um, I guess on that, I, I do just want to want to sort of mention that specifically um, when I was a teenager, I actively thought engineering wasn't for me. Um, so the only really real exposure that I'd had would be like designing and technology and, and woodwork and, and that sort of thing. And I, it really, really wasn't for me. Why not? So, uh, I think I think it was the fact like woodwork I wasn't I wasn't very good at. I didn't find the material that interesting. I didn't find what we were making that interesting. Um, I guess also the the gender split as well. We basically got to choose between like textiles, food tech and design and technology. Um, and all of my friends chose textiles. So so I chose that as well. I also absolutely cannot sew at all. So that was a <laughs> terrible choice. Um, so design and tech probably would have been a better choice for me. But at the time, it just didn't seem like an option and it just didn't really interest me. So, so yeah. Yeah, when I was younger, I actively would have crossed engineering off the list. It wasn't even that I didn't know what it was. It was, yeah, not for me. I decided.
0: Kids, like teenagers, understanding of what engineering is, is to its detriment, seriously limited. And I guess because your exposure to engineers up until probably you go into an engineering degree or you do an engineering A level or ab or, or or wherever your that first to ed engineering education is, um, your exposure is to the to the guys in the boiler suits coming to coming to fix something or coming to you know doing roadworks and there's no there's not nothing wrong with that but you know there's no one saying oh no but actually these guys are also engineers and they go and do this or they go and do that. I think that's the root honestly I think that's the root of the problem.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so true. Even even like myself I work in a factory. I work in manufacturing. But you come and see come and see the factory that I work in. It's it's a clean it's a clean environment. We need to make sure that all the optics that we're using in our products are super super clean. So and all of the products are very very small. So it's none of this like it's not a dirty environment. It's it's there's no heavy lifting going on. It's it's so different to what I would picture if you were to say like a factory or or manufacturing. So, yeah, even though I work in the industry, I still find myself reverting to old sort of assumptions when, when you use those words because, yeah, the connotations that come with them, they're,
0: they're so strong. Yeah. So, so do you think you still would have done a physics degree if this podcast existed? And I don't know, Sadie, I don't know how old you are. I'm 28. But <laughs> if this had existed 20 years ago, yeah. this podcast, would you have done it?
2: That's a really hard question because I absolutely loved my degree. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. It certainly would have made my decision on what subject to study incredibly
0: difficult. Mm. Okay. At the end of the podcast, we tend to ask, uh, "Would would you have done it differently?" I mean, lots of people we've had on have done apprentices or gone straight into like into into jobs and then done the engineering education afterwards. So would you have done it differently? Or are you happy with where you got to and happy the route you took?
2: I would say I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy with where I've got to and I'm happy with the route that I took. I feel like there were so many opportunities where I might not have taken that route. And I think that's why I think it's important to share the information that I've, that I've sort of learned and, and the realisations that I've had because I just feel so lucky to have managed to get it right for me and that wasn't that wasn't premeditated that wasn't through like lots of evidence or anything like that it was purely purely by chance so yeah i do think i would do it the same but uh, yeah i just feel very lucky to have to have managed to do it this way in the first place
1: going back you said this is the only interview you've been to the one for your actual job just ex- briefly explaining about what you're doing it sounds so complete it sounds a lot it sounds so technical how did you find that being the first interview you've been to and how did you get through
2: the first one and nailed it so <laughs> so after the interview I I didn't think I had at all I was I was convinced that I'd messed it up um and that I wasn't going to be offered the job what made you um, feel like that I think what certainly when I started out in my career I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself Um, I would always try really really hard to do all of the preparation but certainly when I was presenting myself like in a verbal situation it was something I really really struggled with um, the nerves and to summarize concisely what I was trying the point I was trying to get across um, at least that's how I felt I, I felt that I wasn't very good at that I think what I realized from from sort of getting more and more feedback from peers is that actually I'm not as I'm not as bad it at it as I thought. Um, <laughs> but the sort of feedback that I was able to get as well helped me to to gain confidence and to, and to improve as well. Um, so so yeah, definitely like the confidence thing was a huge, huge thing for me when I first started I'm, and that sort of imposter syndrome. even when I was offered the job, I thought like uh, maybe I don't know, I, I didn't think I was offered it because I performed well I thought maybe there was some other circumstance that had that Mm. meant that they they had to give me the job
1: you started to question everything maybe yeah 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 yeah
2: yeah. and I mean even even today like I've I've worked in in the industry in the same company for for almost eight years and even today I sometimes think I sometimes doubt myself and I think "Did, did they did they mean to give me this responsibility and and I sort of have to have to take it back and think no like use the evidence use the data like no I've I have proven that I can, that I can manage these projects and sort of deliver a success. Um, So so I have to like use what I've learned about decision making and and, like the logical side of my brain that I've developed to, to like remind myself that, that I, I have sort of earned earned my place and it's not, it's not come through, like, I don't know. So I guess what I'm trying to say is People think if you're an engineer that you know how cars work and how planes work and you know, you know how everything works to do with engineering. <laughs> yeah. And I think definitely to start with, I was so keen to prove that I deserve to be an engineer that when people outside of the industry would ask me questions about that or assume knowledge because of my role, I would I would try and make sure I could give them an answer or that I'd that I'd read a little bit about all of the different types of engineering so that I could give them an answer. And I quickly realized that it was it was a misunderstanding of engineering, not a reflection on my abilities. So yeah, I think that was one of the things that I sort of learned and stopped trying to be able to do everything because that wasn't my job, and I I didn't actually have anything to prove. So
1: I can honestly relate so much to that story because I had people around me being like, "Oh, for as a hobby, I take apart." cars and make things work and i do that for fun and i'm like i don't have this sort of hobby so i yeah. must not be an engineer Yeah, exactly and i was like i just like the maths of it and i like to understand as you said the logical part of it and i want an answer that's what that's why i want to do engineering but out of like just for fun i won't take apart this car and make it work or make it better necessarily not if i don't want to not if i don't want to try to fix yeah. it so yeah yeah i, I do you, can relate to that so
0: did you think your physics degree Has stood you in better stead in an engineering world, only because you haven't necessarily been told to think in a certain way, or this is how engineering works. So sometimes you can think of or solve problems that that might escape engineers.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually. But yeah, because I don't already know the standard solutions that an engineer might use, I am able to come up with. Different ones. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would certainly say that my the technicality of my degree has been really beneficial in the specific engineering job that mm. I'm in. Um, the fact that we're manufacturing technically complex products means that when we do get an issue, I do tend to have at least an awareness, if not a, a good understanding of the theories that we're using behind the the product design so i'm able to sort of take a step back think okay in theory how should this be working what different components um are going to affect the functionality um of of our product what what which one of the springs in our system is going to affect the movement of the stylus tip the most um so, so sorry yeah the stylus tip is just what we put on the end of our probe and that's what contacts the parts that we're measuring so i think it it's definitely helped me from that point of view, because I have a bit of the foundations to be able to then work through how the product works, understand it, and then come up with some potential reasons why it might not be
0: working. Silver Fox proudly supports engineers with all their cable wire and pipe labeling requirements. The Fox in the box thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer, and one ribbon. Saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on +44 01707 373727.
1: You said that at the beginning you didn't think engineering was a career for you because you were a girl, a, a woman. Uh, I think that changed quite a lot recently, but not without a lot of effort. How do you feel about that? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So I think as I've got older um, and my understanding of just things in general has has grown, I've, I've sort of realised... Um, well, I've sort of become interested in understanding about the gender roles that we have in our society um, and how they've sort of come about and the effect that they have on me that maybe I haven't realised previously um, because I've just always always... Taken sort of the world around me as, is, yeah, it's is given. This is how things are. Um, so it's, again, going back to the data approach, it's through sort of um, doing a bit of reading and then hearing opinions which actually really resonated with me and were really, really sort of made sense and made me see things, really commonplace situations in a different light and, and made me consider actually. Is there a reason that men do most of the engineering in the UK, for example? Why? Why is that? What is? Where's the evidence to say that males are better engineers than females? So, I then did a bit of digging, um, read read a, a couple of books, and sort of one one of my favourite books that I've read is um, Invisible Women by um, Caroline Criado Perez. Uh, which I would recommend for for anyone to read. It's it's a really really great book. It's sort of very very data driven, um, but it's about it's about exactly what I was just saying. Really, looking at the world, looking at these situations we see every day, and understanding if they are designed in the best way for the whole population. Um, so, when it comes to to engineering and sort of interviews and what is expected of an engineer. Um, Women broadly, they tend to have very different characteristics to men. Um, so one of, the, one of the really good chapters in this book um, is, is about a, a study that was done and it showed that women tend to assess their intelligence accurately, whereas men of average intelligence think they're more intelligent than two-thirds of people. And, and so the classic interview techniques where you're looking for someone to be confident and you're looking for them to sort of sell themselves a little bit they just they just don't benefit women who who have been taught that sort of or conditioned I should say rather than taught they've been conditioned to be modest and and sort of are, are sometimes penalized by society for sort of stepping outside of that expectation so it's not it's not about giving all the engineering jobs to women it's not about making interviews easier for women or anything like that from my from from like in my opinion what what i think is important is just recognizing that there might be a difference between genders and it's not necessarily reflective of their actual skill or ability to Mm. do a job um and the industry has loads to sort of benefit from taking an approach that allows equity in the situation um so so yeah that's that's what I've kind of learned, and it's something that's become really, really important to me. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's I think that's key, isn't it? Men and women aren't the same, and the quicker we, as a society, clock onto that, I think the sooner we can we can improve the situation. One thing that stood out to me during this podcast is that the the thing that's going to fix engineering, and I use fix in the loosest term, is diversity unless we have a diverse group of problem solvers, we're not going to fix it because white middle-class men, on the whole, engineering management, want to fix certain things. And, you know, people want to fix the things that they care about because they don't care about the rest of it.
2: I think the thing is, um, when we're problem solving or when we're contributing to ideas, we will very often draw on our own experiences. It's a very natural thing to do because you, you have lots of information about the experiences that you've had um where people haven't had certain experiences um for example i don't know if all of the managers are male none of them will have ever been pregnant if you haven't had that experience you don't know if it's awkward to like breastfeed in in a in work you don't know if it's awkward to uh, i don't know get from the car park to the office when you're eight months pregnant it's just something you you Mm. probably wouldn't have ever considered um or or noticed and if you are to consider it it's from a like forced perspective where you where you maybe have to ask other people about about what they think so it's it's a much more conscious effort that you that you have to put in um and I I don't think it's fair to expect people to be able to to Mm. to provide that insight it it's easier and it's fairer and it's more sort of realistic for everyone. It's you, more
1: efficient.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's more efficient if you if you just have a diverse group of problem solvers in the first place um, so that the solution does fit everyone.
0: I mean, it, 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 that sort of sums up why engineering and, and, and safety is always reactive rather than proactive. If it's never happened, how do we know it's going to happen? You know, if you've never had... If you've never had a pregnant wo- a, a woman in the office walking from the car park, you've definitely never had a pregnant woman walking from the office to the car park. So how how can you solve that problem? Because it's never it's never been a problem.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is when you when you look at the engineering workforce and the gender balance, um, and again, this is this is all in the in invisible women as well. Um, but it...
0: I, we should get we should get some sort of like commission off this. Definitely.
2: <laughs> we definitely should. <laughs> um but yeah it's it's the the gender split as um you sort of look at positions of more senior management as well um that's that's where it starts to get to get worse and worse whether that's for historic reasons um whether that's because of the sort of um the way things are done in terms of young families it it does tend to be the woman that's taking that maternity leave and so she'll therefore be missing out on that experience those opportunities for promotion and everything like that so
1: based on the same subject, women in engineering, uh, have you had any role models? Any people you looked up to? Not necessarily that a female, no. That's the first one. Usually every single one has said yes, somebody, so...
0: Is that a problem?
2: I think that for some people it's a problem. I think that especially when you're early in your career, and especially if you know that you want a family or whatever... It can be hard mm. to see people in senior positions who always work full time, take two weeks off for their child. And it, it can be hard to understand how that would work if you were to get the role. And, and so sometimes people just think, oh, do you know what? That isn't for me because because they think that yeah. well, there's one way to do it and that's how you do it. And that's not what they want. Um, so. Yeah, I guess I guess. Yeah, I do think it's a problem. I think it's a problem because people will then easily just rule that out or not aim for that because mm. it, it is easier when you see someone who you think is like you. It, it makes whatever they've achieved seem more achievable if you can draw parallels mm. between that person and yourself. Um, so, yeah, I, I I do think role models are important. I guess I've never had a specific role model but I definitely like I love all the like female scientists like Marie Curie all all stuff like that I just I just sort of love sort of reading about them even even like not people not in STEM so like um, even like Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, the yeah hmm. just, I just think people like that who have really like dedicated their lives to their careers and, and really sort of acted with compassion but are really driven and like have really clear ideas and they they have the sort of conviction and they they're so committed to to the cause that they've chosen and and becoming the best in their field and and giving everything to 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 that i i do find that really inspirational um i don't know that it's necessarily what i'd want to do but i do i do love to see that there are women doing that um i i do yeah I do think it's a good
0: thing to be able to see. Well, if anyone's looking for, for female role models in engineering, well, I'm obviously talking <laughs> to two, um, but also check out episode uh, four, five, eight, I think. I don't know. There's loads of women in engineering from this podcast who are brilliant. Um, so yeah, have a listen to the rest of them. There you go. That's my shameless plug for the podcast on my own podcast. There you go.
2: Yeah. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to ruin it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. So, going back to your day-to-day job, mm-hmm. you're working. Are there any Are there any projects that you're you're super keen on? Everyone's got their fa- their mm. favourite. Uh, I don't know. I I when I was at Nissan, I haven't shut up about the fact that I'm at Nissan. <laughs> if, if you've ever listened to the fact to this podcast, um, it's tough though. I think especially in engineering when you're when you're working on stuff that's IPed. Yeah you can't i mean i don't nicoletta probably hasn't experienced this yet but i'm sure she will but for a good chunk of my placement i couldn't talk about it and when i was at experian i couldn't talk about it and you know so it's quite tough so i think when you get that one project you can talk about you end up bragging way too much (laughs) really making it you're like i promise i've been working
2: (laughs) yeah i guess um there's not a specific project that i would want to talk about um, and the majority of my work is a combination of um, issue identification, managing that issue and then improving like a product family as a whole. Um, so mm. I think the the thing that I sort of like about my job and I like to, um, I sort of, not I like, I... But I think the best way to sort of explain what I do and why I like it so much um, is to sort of, if I give an example of one of the products that I work on and sort yeah. of how, how the theory relates to, how the theory that I learned at university relates to the, the probe and the actual problems that I've looked at, that's, that's like what I find the most satisfying. Um, mm. Yeah, so the yeah it's about it's about applying those physics principles and the theories to the to solving the real world problems so um one of the one of the products i work on is one of the measurement probes um and it's triggered by touch so if i give you just a quick overview of the product um so we have we have a stylus which is basically it's a stick around around the length of a finger let's say um with a ruby ball attached on the end um, and the other end of the stylus is attached to the spring system of our probe. Um, so on one end of the spring system is the stylus, and on the other end is a light source. Um, so then we attach attach that probe to a coordinate measurement machine that I yeah. Um, and the machine brings the tip of the ruby ball um, on the stylus into contact with the part to be measured. Um, so what happens there mm. is the movement of the stylus causes the spring system to deflect consequently moving the light on the other end of the spring system and the movement of, the, of this light source is then um, tracked and used to calculate the positional movement that we've seen at the end of the stylus um, and then subsequently used to calculate the position um, and the geometry of the path. Um, so the, the specific applications um, that I've been looking at is Basically, so in order to allow the sort of successive measurements to to be taken, um, it's important that the spring system um, is damped and that it returns to equilibrium quickly um, because obviously you don't want your light source to be moving about before you take your next measurement. You need it to be stationary so you can measure the change in movement to understand how much the stylus is Mm. Um, So, So we have a mechanism of providing that damping in our product. Um, and we have a test rig that assesses the damping. Um, so it plots the waveform, um, amplitude versus time waveform. Um, it, it fits a best fit curve to that. Um, and then it carries out a fast Fourier transform um, on the waveform. Oh. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
0: well, that is a term I have not heard Yeah. Of
2: um, so yeah, it does that to, to generate the natural frequency of the waveform or the natural frequencies of the waveform. Um, and it also looks at the amplitude of the peaks um, and it uses those to calculate the decay rate of the oscillation. Um, So the thing I love about that is I've got all of that theory from university, all of that sort of background, all of that time spent on those equations, which I thought, what am I doing this for? And then I get to my job and I'm actually applying all of that. And because of the time sort of spent on the theory, it means when we do see anomalous results um we we've seen some products which have really really strange waveforms when i'm looking to then design an experiment to understand what is causing those waveforms because of that understanding that i have um, of the theory and Mm. that background it means that i'm i'm much more efficient and much more targeted with the suggestions that i come up with um, and it means that yeah solving that problem can be done more quickly um, and ultimately, in a manufacturing environment, um, resolving problems quickly so that you can get good quality product to your customers who are waiting is absolutely key. So, yeah, I really love being able to work in that fast pace with the technical um, problems, and yeah, really sort of apply myself in those situations. So, yeah, that that's why I love my job.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not. It's, do you know we haven't really had like a a fuller on explanation like that in this podcast (laughs) but it's lovely to see how passionate you are about it yeah and how much you actually love it
2: and i think it's easy it's easy to like you say when you've got intellectual property that you can't talk about it's it's easy to brush over the descriptions the the detail of the engineering stuff Mm. and actually i think that's what all of us engineers have in common that we do like to understand how things work and it's that understanding that then gives us the like it hooks us and we Examen. yeah yeah it, it does it it gives you the sort of motivation the excitement that's what we like to get our teeth into so yeah i think it's good to include that when you can
0: yeah nicoletta
1: i need to get my fast Fourier transform straight yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> I, I, I i almost had a heart attack hearing that.
1: <laughs> that's what i think <laughs>
0: I now remember why no one's, no one's mentioned it on the podcast because yeah. I've made sure it's been cut out so I don't have to listen to those words again.
1: I enjoyed that explanation. Yeah. <laughs> Thank
2: you.
0: How did you get chartered? What, what was that journey like?
2: Yeah, so I would say I decided to start the journey to become chartered because I like to have something to focus on and because I felt like I didn't officially have an engineering qualification. Mm. So I I obviously got my got my physics. And when I first started, um, I did feel like there was a large chunk of skills that I didn't have um, related to engineering. So that was why I decided to go on the journey for my self-development and to give myself uh, a rounded um, education, basically. Um, How did I find the journey? Um, I found it incredibly, incredibly useful. Really eye opening, actually to take a step back and really think about if I had the skills that they were asking for and in the instances where the answer to that was a no how I was gonna make sure I had the opportunity and then take advantage of that opportunity to grow to grow those skills Um, so I I had a mentor who who worked in in Renishaw as well um, so he was hugely supportive and, and helpful um, in terms of discussing these things with me the reflection side of things um, and then actually helping to like find the opportunities for me to have the exposure to all of the different areas um, on top of that when I when I came to then write up my my application my I had a professional registration advisor mm. um, who I contacted and she she was hugely helpful um, and I find, I found the whole process really beneficial for me, basically, and all of the assistance and contact that I had with the IET along the way, I found really useful. Um, so when I then came to do my interview and was successful at becoming chartered, um, it, it was actually in my interview where they suggested that if you were to be successful and you wanted to continue to be involved with the IET, there's actually an opportunity for you to volunteer and be professional registration advisor yourself if you are successful Um, so it was it was off the back of that conversation in my interview where I decided that actually I did want to be involved I felt that I had something to gain from the process understanding how to um, sort of assess these applications provide feedback to people Um, but also I wanted I wanted to give back to new applicants um, given how useful I'd found the process and how supportive how supported i guess i felt i was so yeah and it was it was then it kind of snowballed after that so once i'd sort of been put in contact with the volunteering section of the iet um i then found out about the sort of young professionals um network that they have um as well as the manufacturing technical network Mm. um so i've i've joined um the young professionals committee and the manufacturing technical network committee as well um which is really, really great to sort of meet a range of engineers from all over the world, um, loads of different ages, loads of different experiences, um, and sort of have a bit of a network and, and be able to sort of hear what other people are getting up to in the engineering mm. community. Um, yeah, it's it's really nice. And like I say, I feel like I'm giving something back, but I'm also getting a lot out of it as well. Um, so yeah, a really mutually beneficial relationship.
0: Right, okay, going back to, to young Sadie um what skills would you say you need to have to be a successful engineer you've obviously been successful up to now but I bet you didn't have all those skills
2: no um I think on top of the stuff that you would assume you needed for engineering so the problem solving uh the decision making the sort of technical mindset and ability um which I think everyone yeah everyone sort of associates with engineering those those sort of skills i i actually think organization and sort of effective communication are two skills that i didn't realize were so so important um Mm. in engineering Mm. so it's it's about i would say sort of like recognizing your limitations realizing that like your memory is fallible um and you want to make good habits to remove these things as something that's going to hold you back um writing up notes and sort of writing investigation reports aren't aren't everyone's favorite thing to do but if you just sort out how you're going to do those sorts of things you don't have to worry about that tripping you up and and you can focus your your energy and your Brainpower in your efforts on the actual solving of the problem. Mm. If you just make sure you've got all of that stuff sorted, squared off, um, it doesn't have to then inhibit your creativity and the, the innovation side of things. Um, so I think I think that's what I would I would say to to fifteen year old me. I'd say don't overlook um, the sort of more personal soft skills. Make sure you're also getting those in order, rather than just focusing on on your technical stuff and if you do that it will give you more space more capacity to be able to really sort of innovate when it comes to that that problem solving
0: yeah i actually i actually read something the other day i think they managed to milk a whole article out of it but it was basically saying that if you want to be or appear like you're the most clever most intelligent person in the room um then listen to everyone what everyone else has got to say be last to speak not only does it then give you a chance to take the best ideas but it also makes you sound like you've listened to everyone else. Yeah. Um so there you go. That is Alex's top tip of the week.
2: Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree Alex, that is a top tip. <laughs>
0: um and I've tried it. It does work, but you need to be quick on your feet cuz sometimes you need to change your mind. Um Sadie, what is what's the one thing you want l- listeners to take away from from today?
2: One thing's not very many.
0: Um Alright, you can have two.
2: Two? Two <laughs> things. Okay. Um I think the IET's like great. <laughs> People should volunteer. There should be more women in engineering. Manufacturing isn't a dirty manual job. I don't know.
0: All of those things. <laughs> All I have to say is thank you very much. It's been a pleasure putting the world to rights and fixing engineering. We've, we've done it. We've done it in under an hour. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engineering Stories podcast. We hope it's given you some insight into another area of engineering. If you're still here at this point, we must be doing something right. So stay tuned for the next guest. And in the meantime, share this episode with your friends and
2: family and don't forget to subscribe.